my mindset was a really humble one of how can I add value at a company and get paid for it? Have you ever wondered how that Coca-Cola at your birthday party last night got there? Well, you know, for starters, your mom got it at Walmart, but how did it even get to Walmart? If these are questions that you're thinking about, then today's podcast will hopefully answer some of those. So please stick around. What do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do with your life? Understandably, a tough question for any 20-something to answer. So join me, your host, Taylor Marks of the Rise Year Podcast, as I talk with some cool people about what they do and occasionally go on long rants of my own about the pains of growing up. Today's guest is Brett Frankenberg, the Senior Vice President of Product Supply Planning and Bottle Sales at Coca-Cola Bottling Company Consolidated. I am in charge of a lot of supply chain activities for a Coke bottler in Charlotte. So at Coca-Cola Consolidated, we have a geography where we manufacture and distribute soft drinks. Uh, We represent about 20% of the United States geography. So we, we make a lot of drinks and sell a lot of different drinks. And, uh, and we, our territory goes from Hilton Head, South Carolina, up to South Bend, Indiana. Uh, and there's a lot of other bottlers in the system too. So there's 60 bottlers uh, in the US system and but we're about a four and a half to $5 billion company. Our supply chain has to produce and get the drinks to the proper distribution centers in order for them to get to the store shelves. And we're a a direct store delivery distributor. So our trucks go to the actual stores. So we go to the actual Walmart stores. We don't go to Walmart's warehouse and then they distribute. We are a direct store. So we go to every Speedway, Circle K, or Harris Teeter Food Lion, or Target store, Dollar General. about 200,000 delivery points. And so we have a real fun network to manage if you're a supply chain geek like me. Um, it's really kind of exciting. Um, if you're not a supply chain geek like my wife, it's, it's actually nauseating to hear about it. So. Can you give me like a 30 second, how would you describe supply chain? Like what is it? So if you're ever in a store, of any store, when you're picking up an item, whether it's a pair of jeans or or uh, it's a box of Cheerios. Think in your mind, how did it get here? Where's it from? How did the ingredients get in the box? Where were those ingredients sourced from? And there is a supply chain behind every consumer product that brings that product to life. Even if it's Amazon, a product you order on Amazon, Amazon's largest supply chain company. They get the items from a manufacturer to you. So somewhere, somehow, anything you have in your existence, whether it's a can of Coke or a hair bow in the back of your ponytail, (laughs) it came from somewhere. And somewhere it came, you picked where it came from, you were able to get it uh, and utilize it. to IBM.com, there are six key components of traditional supply chain management. 
The first is planning. So planning and managing all resources required to meet the demand for the product or service. The second is sourcing, so choosing suppliers to provide the good and service and then create it. The third is making, so organizing the activities required to accept the materials, manufacture the product, test it, package, and then schedule for actual delivery. The fourth is delivering and the logistics about getting the product to the customer. The fifth is returning, so being able to accept unwanted or excess products. And the last, the sixth, is enabling, so establishing support to monitor everything throughout the supply chain. How'd you get into this? You studied industrial engineering at Penn State, correct? I did. It, it, it's not very linear, so the, the, it wasn't, and it also wasn't by choice. Um, Studying industrial engineering? That was by getting, choice. Okay. That was, actually, it wasn't. Um, my father wouldn't pay for any other degree. He was like, you could be an engineer, any type of engineer? Strictly. Any type of engineer. Okay. Um, and he would be part of the compensation to the Penn State for that. Why but I was allowed to choose any engineering. Um, but if I wasn't an engineer, he, he, he didn't want to send me to school and not be an engineer. Why? Because engineers, in his mind, were employable. Was he an And engineer? got jobs uh, when they graduated. No, he wasn't. He, my <laughs> father sold eggs okay. um, and butter and had his own, like, at one point had chickens and stuff. And yeah, so, no, he wasn't an engineer. I was staring up at him, uh, like a B minus. And uh, so I had my little two six, and I went to work in Philadelphia at a Pepsi plant. And so I started with Pepsi in 1993. Um, and I worked in the uh, plant in Northeast Philly for probably a year and a half before I came to Coca-Cola down in Charlotte, North Carolina. So I was a warehouse, I was a management trainee in Philadelphia. Um, and they put you through a rotation. And uh, How'd you get that job? Um, the Pepsi job? Yeah. That's a great story. Because you had the 2.6 GPA, so. That's a really good story. So um, I, I interviewed it. I remember it was the last interview of the day. It was on a Friday. The interview was at 3.30, mm -hmm. and I was late to it. And so they had on-campus <laughs> interviews, and I was late to it because I had to take some sort of midterm for ballroom dance. Ballroom dance. And my professors would not let me and my partner go in a different order so I could make the interview. I do remember that because I, I, I let the interviewer know that, hey, I apologize for being late, but I have an excuse you probably haven't heard before. <laughs> I was doing a ballroom dance class. I got the interview because I had an internship uh, between my first and second senior years uh, that summer, uh, between, between my eighth and ninth semester. So I was a, uh, an intern in a factory in north central Indiana, a town called Bristol, which is probably 30 miles east, uh, west, yeah, east of South Bend, if you know where that is. And um, it was a foundry where they kind of poured metal and made things like castings, like intake manifolds and you know stuff that for manufacturing for the automotive industry largely. 
and I, I got that internship because of a relationship I forged with an upperclassman at Penn State um, and because of how we worked on a project together. And uh, we had some sort, I had some sort of project for a class and we had about three weeks to do it. It was due on a Monday, so the Sunday before it was due, um, I figured I might as well start it. And uh, I went into the engineering library and I, I met a bunch of folks from my major who were working on it. Evidently, we were supposed to have a partner. Evidently, yes. Evidently, I didn't get that far down the assignment uh, to realize that. And uh, I was like, all right, I'll, I'll find a partner. And there was a kid there who, um, his partner must have blown him off and gone home to see his girlfriend that weekend. And so he's like, do you want to work on this? And so here we are Sunday at 2 p.m. And, and we worked on the project. and. Um, we knocked it out pretty quick, um, but then he, um, we had to type it up. And uh, back in the day, like we had to type things, it was very different than how you guys do things today. And this is back where you had to like literally park your dinosaur and walk into a <laughs> computer lab. And uh, we, I, while well, I had a computer in my fraternity house, I had it in my room. And so he had a, uh, he had to leave, he had a cycling club meeting and so he was supposed to meet me at the house around 9.30. And when he did, he came in the room. I had it typed up. And I had a red pen on it. And I said, here, read it and mark it up. And it was like kickoff for Sunday Night Football. So mm -hmm. I was like, grab a beer. We're going to watch the game. And he was horrified. He was horrified that I typed it out, typed it up without him. And um, he hadn't experienced that before. Hmm. And that in many lab cases he had people would not work independent of each other they wouldn't type unless the other person was next to them so I experienced that in the MBA program as well which is this idea of group play which is we won't work unless we're all together and we work at the same time so everybody has a say in it rather than is that what they were afraid of or I, I, I don't know to me it was really bizarre because yeah. I am able to work independently of him um, and vice versa and I didn't want to penalize the kid because he had like a cycling club meeting, right? I didn't want to be up at 2 a.m., so I just typed it up, and you know, he could proofread it and mark up the errors, and we'd fix it on the word processor, uh, which was word perfect at the time before Microsoft. And uh, and he was just absolutely enamored at that idea, how refreshing it was that somebody would trust somebody enough to not worry if they put extra more effort than them that if the project ended up being 54% my effort versus his that I was not concerned about that and uh, he really he, he, he just hadn't experienced that before that somebody wasn't afraid to do or didn't hold the grudge for doing a little more work well anyway um, he, um, he, he had gotten this job out in Indiana and his first assignment was to find four interns <laughs> And so I got an internship. All right, that's you got your got way it. in there. And that's how I got, that's the only reason I got an interview with Pepsi. Did you too. have anything in your mind that you were looking for? Or were you kind of just taking whatever, whatever bit at that point? And it's a great point, Taylor, in so much as my mindset was a really humble one of how can I add value at a company and get paid for it? I didn't walk in with a plan 
to say, here's my plan, and if you don't offer me this, I'm disappointed. I was just hoping to find someone who would pay me money to do something. So I actually didn't care what the job was. No? I didn't care at all. I was like, I just want a job. Yeah. And, uh, and so I'm always uh, perplexed when I meet folks, particularly younger folks, that tend to have a preconceived notion of what the workplace is, having no experience in the workplace. Whereas, why not, why not just go get a job? And that could be as you know, liberating as traveling for a year. But just take a job, see what happens. And if you don't like it, leave. You know, in a year or so, we'll figure something out. Um, so I didn't like it, and I left about a year and a half later uh, for a, a, a different company. Um, and I've been in Charlotte, North Carolina ever since. So since probably um, the fall of 1994 when we moved here. So you went to UNCC for your master's? We did. Um, was that like by choice or you were just thinking long term for your career it would be best if you did? Um, yeah, a little bit of all of the above. Um, so I think we, I started when I was 26 in my MBA. And, um, I was a warehouse supervisor here in our plant in Charlotte. Mm -hmm. It's a big plant. Um, and I wanted to get an MBA because in my mind I had it that if you really wanted to be a manager and have a future, you had to have an MBA. And I, I, I will rabbit trail to say some of the dumbest people I ever met in my life were in the MBA program, but uh, uh, hopefully they've turned it around since. But um, we, uh, So we went to UNC Charlotte because it was cheap. You say we, so was Sarah in it too? Yes. Oh, Sarah at the same I, time? So me and my wife started the MBA program at the same time. Um, I guess it was a hobby. Would that be considered a hobby? That's kind of a hobby, yeah. yeah. And we took classes together. Um, it's like date night, you get to go to class together? Yeah, sometimes we get dinner. We didn't have a dog. I don't know if we, we might have gotten the dog by then, Rusty, the first Sheltie. Um, but we didn't have any kids. And so we went to the MBA program and started that. And I guess we could have binge watched something on TV, right? Or we didn't have you know, Netflix, we didn't even have AOL back then. Um, but but I guess we didn't we didn't do that. We went to class and got our MBAs, um, and then Sydney was born during the program. So not literally during the class, <laughs> but um, she was born at the end of spring semester, '97. Uh, Sarah took off that summer session. Did she? Okay. Yeah, yeah, and uh, she took a couple of summers. She didn't start back for a couple of semesters. So I finished a year before Sarah did. Huh. So I like to tell everyone I have one and a half MBAs, because I got to help Sarah finish hers. And uh, so when, when Sid was born, um, she started, Sarah started back up in the, in the fall. And so here we are with a four month old baby and we tried everything. We would take classes on the same night and get a babysitter, but event, or we'd alternate classes. Mm -hmm. Like I take Monday, Wednesday, she'd do Tuesday, Tuesday Thursday. Because I, I can remember sitting, watching like the ESPN, whatever football game is on Thursday night, you know, East Carolina versus Rutgers, whoever plays, right? And uh, I remember holding her in my arms, watching the football game, trying to teach her how to read defenses, <laughs> watch the draw play. <laughs> so how was that, having the kid? Like, obviously pretty tough, right? No. No? You, no? No. She's a kid. What are you doing, right? And eat, poop, and sleep. You know? So we'd hang out. Yeah. Just hang out with the kid, watch football. 
and then study and work and yeah do that yeah pretty much so we had I guess at that time we we're busy right um, and you're still working like what are your hours that you're working um, I was day shift so I um, I would come in around 530 in the morning and work till four or five in the afternoon and we go to school uptown Charlotte their classes started at uh, 530 and they might have been like 630 on campus so if you went to the uptown campus, you can get an hour head start. And I remember, I, I don't, I'm not really good at studying, uh, period. Um, <laughs> and so I'm really not good at it when there's other things to do. So I have to almost wait for to run out of things to do to study. But wait, I would type term papers at 1 a.m. because there was nothing else to do. Did you do better in your MBA program than you did in undergrad? Yes. Okay. Much better. That's good. And I'm doing even better in my wine program <laughs> than I did in the MBA program. Maybe it's because I just cared more. In the MBA? We saw like more of a yeah. goal for it. Yeah. You, I mean, at Maybe, that point, yeah, did you I know did, you wanted yeah. to be a manager? That and um, you're more mature, yeah. right? And you know, the MBA program, you're, you're just more mature. You didn't have like penny pitchers uh, pulling you away. Or yeah. If you've been yeah. to Penn State, there's a lot of distracting activities that that you got sucked you into. No, they're just better than going to class. <laughs> <laughs> you had to weigh your options there and studying you, in class. You could tell I weighed them. You could tell exactly how I weighed them. Yeah. <laughs> Do you need a master's to be at the position that you're in? Um, I don't think there is a hard set rule that you have to have that, like a certification, like a pilot or a doctor um, needs a certification. I do think that it, you'd be hard pressed to garner that type of knowledge across that many categories absent some sort of learning environment. So you tend to work and get experience in the job you're in, but how many folks think about in the job they're in how, how the whole company makes money and how everything ties into each other. And, and so when you think of it in a broader perspective, you start to think of it more in a general manager's perspective than a functional manager or a department manager or, or functional supervisor. So I think the MBA program forced you to open your mind to absorb more of that. If you weren't forced to study engineering... I probably would have studied poli-sci. Yeah? Which is probably my passion. I don't know what I would have done with it. Uh, law school or something like that. If you know, both my daughters gravitated towards that yes. before the idea got slapped out of their head. Uh, from you? Uh, no, no, no. From my, oh. my wife's an electrical engineer. Okay. Um, and she she has, you know, you've talked to Sarah. Um, Sarah's much more clear on the idea that undergraduate college is to prepare you to go to the workforce. That if you want to have a, a dance in the field um, about life, that's what graduate school is for. But. Um, her mind is much more, that's much more the German research institution, right, the university. The idea of you go to school to learn something to be useful. Mm -hmm. And um, 
uh, or you gain skills that are, are deemed valuable by somebody willing to pay you. And so I, I think the conversation went as follows. Um, Sid came home one day and said, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking maybe poli-sci. And then Sarah's like, well, then just keep thinking. Keep thinking. Just keep thinking. <laughs> and so that's So that I, cut it real quick for her. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a minor, not a major. Yeah. And um, I think Kate's trying to do like, a little bit of a backdoor poli-sci-ish you know, on her degree. But it's got to be a little fun, you know. You can oh, still I, get yeah. some classes in that. Yeah. yeah. Love it. So do you think you were prepared to enter the workforce when you left college? In which terms? Emotionally, physically? Yeah, kind of all of the above. I don't know. Um, I, uh, I was perpetually disappointed by adults. So, so? You're, you're in college and you're thinking, man, you're just a, you know, kind of like a young, young, dumb, broke college kid, right? Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Oh, Khalid. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And, uh, yeah. There yeah. You go. And uh, so, but then you go out in the workforce, and you realize nobody has it together. You're not unique, and uh, you're looking at this, trying to figure it out, and you start to see that well, you know you learn some skills in college, no doubt. There's stuff every day I apply that I learned from Penn State, the University of Charlotte. Do you think you learned more like in the social aspect, like with dealing with people, rather than like in the actual I class? I, I, I think both. I would let's say I weighted it equally. Right? I was in a fraternity, um, in a social fraternity, and you learned a lot about people. Like you walked away with a strong understanding of just a diversity of, of mindset. Um, but that applies to the workforce. You have a diversity of mindset. No, no, nobody's the same. They could be the same racial makeup. They don't carry the same political opinions. You know? mm-hmm. Everyone's got free thought. Uh, there's no, no, there's no one opinion. And and so, so I think I was prepared um, in this sense. But I also think my upbringing prepared me, and the experiences I had at home before I went to college prepared me. So. So when you enter anywhere, you don't, you're not just what you learned and you wouldn't be just what you experienced at Florida State. You would be the sum total of your existence when you walk in to wherever it is you walk into. And then the outcome is what you largely make of it and what you do. You know, I, I always marvel at it. You read books about famous people, but they don't write books about people who do nothing mm-hmm. because they didn't do anything. And so, you know, I, I see folks who can wallow situation and they're not doing anything and so nothing's going to change tomorrow won't be different than yesterday because no one did anything right like why would it be right it's just Mm -hmm. thursday instead of tuesday right (laughs) but there's really nothing that changes um nobody's like four episodes of friends away from getting something done right it's just a go do something and um so you walk in you just do stuff so that's what i kind of mean it's not really hard to rise up just go do something. So you can have bad luck. Uh, everyone can have bad luck. We were lucky in that we had our health. We had our kids didn't have uh, issues that would have required special needs. And, um, so we're we're very lucky. My heart breaks for families that where that becomes the dominant theme or um, energy absorber in their in their life mm-hmm. because that that's out of their circumstance. And, and that's their trajectory is being determined by something else other than themselves. Yeah. yeah. But if you got your health and your mind, and, and you got everything you need, 
it'll make a difference. Hmm. So if you had a book written about you, or you wrote your own fire autobiography, right. what would the title be? <sighs> so what's your point? As I was like my high school yearbook quote. <laughs> I'm just so impatient. I just like get to it. Just get to it. Short and sweet. It doesn't have to be short and sweet. It can be long and entertaining. Um, but just have a point. Okay. Like if someone's like, you know if someone's gonna stop you in the hallway to tell you something. It's got to be worth your time and you stopping. Not even how I value oh. it. It's got to be something to say. Like get to the point. Like okay. what I'm trying to tell you. Like some folks just don't have a point. They're just talking in circles. Hmm. There's really no reason to stop you in the hallway. So how do you answer your question? What can you add value? What is what is your answer to that? Uh, do a good job. Um, not measure or, or throttle your contribution because of what you believe to be limits on your compensation. Um, you know, there's always a model between any employer and an employee, and that's whether you're you're paying a babysitter or you're paying someone to mow your lawn or you're, you're hiring somebody into your company. There's an equation between contribution and compensation. Uh, and truthfully, the only successful model is when your compensation exceeds, your contribution exceeds your compensation. Um, because that means you're pulling forward to, to move, move ahead. If in fact your compensation exceeds your contribution, it means you can be replaced tomorrow because you're, you're not as good as you're paid. Mm -hmm. um, I know that sounds really awful and draconian, but for anyone that's ever played fantasy football or watched sports, they tend to buy into it pretty quick. If if you're if if Will Greer's not going to cut it as quarterback for the Carolina Panthers, nobody says the Panthers owe him a job for life. They'll say get a quarterback that can throw the ball, mm -hmm. right? And we're fine with that. We we tend to not be as comfortable with that in the working world or in education. Would childhood you be happy with where you are? You know, that's a great question. I think so. Yeah. Um, but but I would also think. The childhood me would have a very incomplete rubric um, to judge that. You're, you tend to be overly simplistic as a child. You're like, I want to be president. Or, I think we've ruined that. I want to be an astronaut. Um, I want to be a doctor, right? But everything's more complex than that. Like, like don't you want to be a good parent? Or a good Maybe person. not as a kid, but yeah. Yeah, yeah the kids aren't like, yeah. I'd really like to be a good dad and a good person. Like I, you know, that's not generally not what an eight-year-old thinks. Um, but it is what like a 50-year-old would think. And so your view of success in life um, modifies. And, you know, we all should reserve the right to get smarter. And so it modifies as, 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 as you experience more, you can change what you want to do more. So yes, I think childhood me would be. Would be. Um, but I didn't set rigid boundaries as to how I define happiness. Did you have like something in mind as to what you wanted? Because obviously you're told you're going to be an engineer. If, well, but, I, I, like, I, I, but that was later on. Yeah, it was later on. Um, you know, I I, I kind of didn't. I kind of didn't. Um, I really didn't. And, and maybe that's a. Maybe that's a failing, or maybe it's a strength, or maybe it's in between. Um, I don't think you have to know, you know, unless you're the heir to 
the Macy's fortune or something where your, your life had been predetermined for you, which I also think is a prison sentence in, in many ways. That would be awful, yeah. It would be awful, right? That's, the, uh, that's why you have Megxit going on right now. Yeah, right? <laughs> In uh, Britain, right? In Harry's life. Gotta live up to expectations that's sixth in line for I the feel throne. like that's almost more detrimental than anything yeah how, how can you be successful when the expectations for your life have been set by others mm-hmm. um, I don't think keep it open I okay guess. so I you know kind of in a good spot yeah nice. and I you know but, but think about how the converse of that would be held true which is if you hold these rigid ideas in your mind at a young age you can largely do nothing but disappoint yourself because you're not where you told yourself you should be based on no cogent understanding of what it took or meant to be there in the first place Mm -hmm. so you fail to meet an irrational expectation formed by someone ill-equipped to even create one so that's amazing to me, yeah, folks that are disappointed from their childhood. You have 24 hours to live, right. unlimited money, so money's not an issue, and you can go anywhere at snap of your fingers. What would you do? Really, it's really interesting because it's really hard to spend money. Because um, a lot of things you spend that kind of money on, you got to wait for it. Like, like my G6 would take, you know, like two years <laughs> to come. So would I have a two-year lead time? I don't got 24 hours. Only 24 hours. Um, I would just... Shoot, I don't know what I'd like to do. Um, I would love to just, ex- I'm an experiencer, so I would, uh, you know, I can just snap my fingers and be at the top of Mount Everest. Yeah. I might do that. Can I snap my fingers more than once, or is it just a one snap? More than once. You have the whole 24 oh, clock the is world. running. I would just see things and do things um, and go places. And I don't know if money is the limiter. I don't think people who are dying. Money in the sense of, so like it, obviously it you can snap, you. Yeah, yeah, you could eat at the fanciest restaurant and not have to worry about it or drive whatever car yeah. you wanted to. Yeah, I would probably just want to go places. Because you don't have to worry about travel, so travel's free. Yeah, I would be, you know, Mount Everest, you know, Machu Picchu, I'd be hanging out in the pyramids, doing all that. Of course, I'd have to have someone with me, otherwise it's kind of lonely. Yeah. You bring in the whole family, you just bring Sarah? I don't know, Kate might get grumpy over it and be like, no, I haven't, you know, there's a You could leave her at Mount Everest and make her get her own way She's like, I don't know, there's a really good show on. (laughs) Jack Ryan's on that. I can pull this off. She's got her priorities set. Yeah, maybe she'd accommodate me. I'm an experiencer. I wouldn't, I don't care about driving cars or whatever. Okay. I don't don't need that. I might have a really good bottle of wine. What do you foresee in the future, future endeavors, longer term? Because you're still pretty young, comparatively. Yeah, and we are. And, and so we have that conversation. Yeah. And so we don't know. And so we don't have the answers. But, you know, I, you know this year I turned 50. And so there's an AARP card. In my Did you already turn 50 in the last? No, no, no. I turned okay. 50 in July. I was going to say happy birthday, but uh, yeah, you no, got a while no, to no, go. No, no, no. I turned 50 in July, and, and there's an AARP card coming. And, it's big uh, times. Isn't that great? <laughs> and, um, and then uh, but then you started thinking about retirement. I'm like, well, hell, I'm way too young to retire. But you never really are in the sense that you should always be thinking about life, right, after after the workforce, whatever it is you do, the next phase of whatever it is. And so we're trying to put thoughts around that. And, um, you know, both Sarah and I work and, 
you know, I like to talk about how if I didn't work, she could keep working. And, and then that would cover a lot of our retirement. And she has, you know, kind of a, a different view of, of how that would play out. And so, and so we talk about that and what we'd like to do and travel. We'd like to travel and, mm-hmm. and do things. Um, everyone has to do something. Volunteer, do something, have a purpose. And uh, I think that's actually an issue with retirees today. There's no, or what they end up doing isn't fulfilling because it's kind of empty, whatever it is. There's only so much canasta. Yeah. Can, uh, or mahjong, yes. Mahjong, if you play mahjong, mom used to play mahjong. Um, so you have to have a purpose. Like I asked this guy, what if you worked at the hospital part-time uh, to do something, to take some burden off some of the other doctors, right? He's like, yeah, I would have to do something. It's not great pay. He shouldn't be compensated like a full-time employee, but it should be something that he's doing. Oh, but he was still in the mindset of like, it's not great pay, so he may or may not do it? No, he's Uh-oh. just thinking about it. Like, what do I do? Like, I don't want to do nothing all day. Yeah. And lose all my skills. And like, you know, people retire now and live like 20, 30 years. You have all the skills you had the day before you retired. Yeah. And should you just lose them? Should society just lose them? Um, it's like, a waste of what you built. Yeah, what a waste of human capital. Yeah. And uh, and so how can you still participate um, and, and add value um, and be fulfilled? You're always fulfilled by adding value. You are more fulfilled by doing things than people doing things for you. It's just the way humans are wired. Mm-hmm. The way normal, non-narcissistic humans are wired. You're more fulfilled by helping than by taking. And so folks want to be fulfilled. They want to help. They want to do. And so what do you got to do to help? And, and, and what can they do? So there's, that's what, I got to figure that out. I don't have all yeah, the answers. You, you still have a good amount of time. I do. So there's no do pressure for time, you on that but, one. But you never know. You're like, what do I want to do? Yeah. Maybe, I'll, maybe I'll learn how to play golf and become patient. So the three main takeaways from this conversation with Brett are, first, how can you add value to your job, to your community, and to your own life? Second, it's what you make of it. And third, figure it out as you go, but don't be afraid to just jump in.